There is an old Far Side cartoon that shows an interesting scene of the final judgment. There's a line of people and St. Peter is up at the front and as each person approaches, he hands them something. And some people are handed a harp and they are headed towards the up escalator and the people headed for the down escalator are handed accordions. Uh, Images of the afterlife are really all around us. It's pretty widely accepted that when we reach the end of our earthly existence, there comes a final reckoning and we proceed either to our eternal reward or punishment, or maybe someplace in between. That's the topic for another homily. Granted, most of the representations that we see in advertisements and cartoons are pretty shallow, but they do reflect the fact that belief in an afterlife of some sort is pretty widespread. A recent Gallup poll survey of religious belief found that about 85% of people believe in life after death. You can compare that to the 60% of people who say they go to church every Sunday and the 30% who actually do. Uh, but belief in human and, and eternal life was not always part of the human experience. In much of the history of the ancient Hebrew people, for example, it was most commonly held that this life is all that we get and that what we experience here reflects God's judgment on us. But over time, it became clear that something more was necessary simply because of who God is. And this is the background to today's first reading. During the persecution of Antiochus Epiphanes, an evil king who regarded himself as a god, faithful followers of the God of Israel were rounded up and tortured and killed. And that's what's happening in this story of these seven brothers and their mother. So here's the dilemma. Their faith was so strong that they know that God will never abandon them. They are absolutely convinced that their obedience to God's law will be rewarded and that this evil king will be punished. And yet they can also see that their earthly lives are about to come to an end. So either they are deluded and their faith is in vain or their deaths are not the end of the story. And this is the essential problem that all of us have to face when we're confronted with evil. Why does it happen and why does God allow it? And this is a pivotal question only if we presume that this life is the only stage on which God manifests his will. If reality is larger than what we see here, then there is still room for our free will and God's justice can still be accomplished. It's pretty elegant if you think about it. So over time, our history and our collective experience of God's grace has made it clear that there's more to life than what we experience here on earth. So what's next? What does it look like? In today's gospel, a group of Sadducees are questioning Jesus, trying to show that belief in eternal life is absurd. As the gospel writer explains, these folks don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) The mistake that they made was presuming that what follows our life on earth will simply be more of the same. 
Our customs for ensuring the continuity of inheritance and bloodlines, for example. And that's why they pose this hypothetical situation for Jesus. And the answer that the Lord makes reveals that eternal life is going to be radically different from what we experience here. Because there will be no more death, no more inheritance, no more procreation. So there will be no more marriage. What there will be, we aren't told with any precision, will be like the angels. Okay, what's that like? I don't think it means wings and harps. Most importantly, we will be God's children. And of course, we're that already, but we will know that we're God's children. In this life, we have flashes of inspiration and peak experiences of loving and being loved. But when we reach God's kingdom, we will have perfect knowledge and the perfect experience of living in God's love with no more sin, no more misunderstanding, and no more death. So essentially, these readings make two arguments for the existence of an afterlife. One is the argument from justice. Since God's justice must be perfect and we experience injustice in this life, God's justice must be, must be worked out on a larger canvas than just this earthly life. And the second argument for the existence of an afterlife, which I find more compelling, is an argument from love. Because God loves us, our relationship with him can't be limited to our finite lives. If God loves us, he's not going to throw us away like a piece of trash at the end of our earthly lives. Knowing that there is both justice and love awaiting us should have some effect on how we live our lives today. It certainly made a difference to these seven brothers in our first reading. It should comfort us when we experience injustice and when life is painful. But it also gives us something to reach for because we have the reassurance that God's love is eternal and God's justice will be perfect. We can strive to bring that love and justice into the world because we know that what we do here matters. And isn't that better than waiting in line for a harp or an accordion? <laughs>